Injured at work in a motor vehicle accident or had a fall in a public space? Speak to Your Claim Lawyers, a no-win, no-fee, personal injury claims law firm that specialises in maximising compensation claims for injured people. Call 1-800-YOUR-CLAIM or yourclaimlawyers.com.au. On a day where we wait for the next batch of fixtured games to drop, we expect it to be sometime this hour, and it looks as though Sydney and the Giants will be the next two teams fixtured to head west. Hello and welcome to our edition of Time On tonight. Coming up this hour, Ed Kerner will join us. We'll talk about the Blues after they had their heart broken on Sunday by the power, but there's some definite progress being made. Second hour. One of the great names in Australian basketball, Damien Martin, announced his retirement today. He'll join us and we'll cross to London a little bit later on and we'll talk about the Ben Stokes show in the series between England and the West Indies. After six o'clock, good evening and welcome. Great to be with you on Time On. It is Tuesday, the 21st of July. My name's Jack Heverin. It's a great day to be alive. We're sitting by the TV. We're waiting. We're watching to see what it all looks like. Ordinarily, a next batch of fixtures being dropped, it'd be decent news. It wouldn't be the biggest news of all time. But if they do drop a few rounds in a row, we're going to start to get a bit of an idea of what the season is going to look like for the next month. There's been a lot of discussion about squeezing in 30, 40 games in the space of 25, 30 days. Hopefully by the end of the show tonight, hopefully by 8 o'clock Melbourne time tonight, we should have a bit better idea about what the next couple of weeks look like. Mentioned Damien Martin's name before. Very much looking forward to having a chat to him. The NBL, to me, have done an outstanding job of almost having their own mini trade week. There's two or three announcements a day of signings and Players on the move or players that have re-signed, they've done an outstanding job of being in the new space this time of year. But this is one that they probably wouldn't have planned for. It's not completely unexpected, but a player with the credentials of Damien Martin, six championships, that's right, six NBL championships, championships, 342 games, an Olympics in 2016, and the six-time defensive player of the year. It's an incredible resume and so much so that I applaud the NBL for making the announcement this afternoon, shortly after Damien announced his retirement, that from here on in, the NBL Defensive Player of the Year will be known as the Damien Martin NBL Defensive Player of the Year. A fantastic announcement, wonderful achievement, and he'll join us next hour as well. And there's live cricket that's been going on. Been an interesting series, I reckon, between England and the West Indies. We'll talk about that with Henry Moran from the BBC a little bit later on. To catch you up with what's happened from across the day, some injury news firstly, good, bad or otherwise. Jordan Ngoi, no certainty to line up at, in finals action for Collingwood. Had a finger operation last week. Eddie Maguire spoke on Triple M this morning and said that he wouldn't be a certainty, that, that he would have to, a lot of things would have to go right for him to be available. Aaron Norton started running 
this week for the Western Bulldogs, an ankle injury that he's had operated on. He'll still miss probably three to four weeks, I'd imagine. Uh, Josh Selwood, his hamstring is more of a standard hamstring. There was a concern for a bit of time there that it would be a bit more serious than what it was. Uh, it looks as if it's going to be your standard sort of two to three week arrangement. No surgery for Jordan Clark. That's the news coming out of the Cats today as well with a shoulder injury, but he definitely won't be available for this week. And a time frame on his return is yet to be announced. And Jack Silvani for Blues fans, he hasn't been in the team for the last few weeks. Uh, just a slight inflammation of a rib injury that he suffered a couple of weeks ago. So he'll be unavailable for this week as well. So there's a bit of a sweep of the injury news from across the day. This is the other interesting news. Then I want to talk about the kangaroos. The AFL have reached out to both Adelaide and St Kilda to address a number of incorrect decisions during Monday night's game at the Adelaide Oval. Riley Beveridge from afl.com.au has this story. Uh, it was a, it was a strange old game to try and get a handle on, to be honest. I didn't watch it live at the time. I was working last night, but watched it in full this morning. And I'd since jumped online and I'd seen all of the, the tweets and I'd seen all of the, the social media commentary about the game. So I kind of went into it and tried to have a clear vision of it. It was a baffling game. Uh, in a statement released today, the league's football operations manager, Stephen Hocking, described a series of calls during the game to be missed or unwarranted and look to provide clarity around how the holding the ball rule should be officiated this season. He said, and I quote, we acknowledge that there were decisions in last night's game that were either missed or unwarranted free kicks, and we will continue to work towards ensuring stronger consistency in the decision-making, particularly with regards to holding the ball. Earlier this season, we identified a number of instances where players failed to make a genuine attempt to dispose of the football when legally tackled and should have been penalised for holding the ball. This was then communicated to the clubs, and it goes on. We'll talk about this a little bit later on in the show. I reckon it's topical. A lot of people had a view on it last night, and I want to get your views on it a little bit later on. Some injury news just coming in as well. Jack Siebel's latest injury is set to see him miss a month of action. North Melbourne have announced that a short time ago. But I want to turn the show over to you, as I always do every night off the top, one 736 736 on the phone or on the speckle text 0433981116. And tonight, we used to do this a bit last year, tonight you play the role of list manager. So I'm putting you in charge of the list management decisions of the North Melbourne Football Club. I spoke last week on the show that there always seems to be one team that are, that are in the gun earlier in the week. Unfortunately for the Kangaroos, it's their turn this week. The season's just about done and dusted now. Two and five in a 17-game season, it's very, very unlikely that they're going to play finals from here. And to be truthful, if you've seen the way that they're playing over the last few weeks, they're not playing like a team who's capable of playing finals. So now it's time to get busy and start making some decisions about next year. And trust me, these conversations will be going on, not only at North Melbourne, they will be going on at every single footy club right now. They're dealing with a lot of other things this year that they wouldn't normally be dealing with. But the recruiting divisions, the list management divisions, the football operation divisions would still be having these meetings and they would still be starting to talk about what does our team look like for next year. They don't know list sizes. They don't know salary caps. But what they will start to get an idea of is some players who aren't part of their plan going forward and some who are part of their plan going forward. So with that in mind... One three hundred seven three six seven three six on the phone or on the speckle text oh four double three ninety eight eleven sixteen. You're the list manager tonight. You're in charge of the kangaroos. 
What are you doing come end of year? Is it short-term fix? Are you trying to be bold? Are you trying to get yourself back up there sooner rather than later? Are you going about this the old-fashioned way? Is now the time where you concede? You've already got two picks in the first round draft, uh, first round of the draft for this year. Is now the time where you decide to go back, maybe try and get a third pick in the draft and see if you can bolster your hand that way. See if you can get four or five inside the top 30. Attack the draft aggressively this year. Maybe attack the draft aggressively again next year and see what it looks like after that. Or are you trying to, as I say, do the short-term fix here, maybe make a trade or two in the meantime, but get yourself back up there. What would you do if you're in charge of the North Melbourne list? And this is not just for Kangaroos fans. This is for all of you. one 736 736 to join me. The secondary part to my question to you tonight, and you can answer one or both, is around Ben Brown. Before I frame that for you, take a listen to this. It's Damien Barrett on the Sounding Board podcast today. What they, what they should do is what they should have done last year. And when they got offers, good offers, for, for older players like Higgins and Goldstein, that was the time to start making the decisions. Not recontract them for, for stifling deals. Now, they're right to do that. But don't, don't then now put Ben Brown into the marketplace like they're doing, clearly. Oh, you think, you think they put Ben in the market? Oh, absolutely they have. Really? Now, Ben wanted a longer deal than the one they initially offered. You think they're shopping him? Absolutely they're shopping him. So how on, hang on, let's interrogate this. How and where are they shopping him? To the industry. They're saying... Any club who wants Ben Brown is a conversation to be had. It was Damien Barrett on the sounding board today. So part two to this question, or you can just tackle part two if you like. Would Ben Brown be a fit at your club and what deal would you be willing to do for it? Now we're talking about a player here that's kicked 64 goals in 2019, last year. 61 the year before, 63 the year before, 41 in 2016 and 32 in his second full year in 2015. Now, players like this, they don't, they're not standing on a tram stop out the front waiting to jump on the tram. There's not too many forwards in the competition who are kicking those sorts of numbers. So if the Kangaroos look to shop him around, as Damien Barrett said there, and they're deciding that they want to take a look at potentially moving him on, and maybe that does mean that we're starting to get a bit of a snapshot to what their strategy is going forward. Would you have Ben Brown at your club? Is he a fit for your club? And what would you trade for him? 0433 98 16 on the text or 1300 736 736. What is Ben Brown worth in my mind? Well... As I say, there's not too many players kicking those sorts of goals this year. Uh, He's kicked seven goals, eight for the year in a team that's second bottom. The way that they're putting the ball inside 50 at the moment is not great. And if you're a lead up forward like Ben Brown, that's not the way you want your footy coming in. Ben Brown's not a pack marking beast. Uh, He's not the type that's going to crash. He's, I mean, you look at the King brothers and what they're doing at the moment. Max at St Kilda last night took a couple of fantastic grabs and Ben's doing some good stuff for the gold stuff for the gold coast. They're your more mobile kind of uh, key forward. I reckon. Is Ben Brown worth a first round pick in your mind? To me, he's a back end of the first round for sure. Because if you put him into Collingwood's lineup with the way that they kick the footy inside 50 and they'd be putting it on his chest. He'd be a massive threat. He'd kick big numbers. 
Brisbane have got Eric Hipwood and Daniel McStay. They might decide that it's not for him. Richmond are obviously very well set up with their forward structure with Jack Revolt and Tom Lynch. The Cats, Tom Hawkins has still got a couple of years of footy left. They bought Josh Jenkins in and haven't been able to have a look at him yet. I could go down the list from top to bottom. I don't need to do that. You tell me. one three hundred seven three six seven three six. But Collingwood is the first team that I thought of that it's still the missing piece of the puzzle. They just can't quite get Mason Cox right this year. For whatever reason, it's not working. He'd be a fantastic fit at the pies. And, and I reckon given where they are on the ladder and the emergence of Callum Brown and Josh Dacos, Tyler Brown, um, the way that they're tracking at the moment, they're getting some good youngsters coming through. Isaac Quainer's last couple of games been really good. I'd do that deal. Back into the first round for Ben Brown, for sure. So what would that look like for Collingwood? Based on the ladder at the moment, that's 16, 17, maybe 18, depending on other compensation picks or whatnot. It could get to 20, but I'd do that deal for sure if I was Collingwood. one 736 736 How would you approach the list management strategy at the Kangaroos? What would you do if you were in charge? Is anyone untouchable at that club or is everyone up for offer? Dylan's in Kingsville to start us off tonight. G'day, Dylan. Hey, mate. Um, yeah, I think we've got a... Kangaroos have got a real big issue with our list because our best players are all ageing and that second crop, the 25 to 29-year-olds, like your Mason Woods and your Taylor Garners, haven't really come come on. Yeah. So we're still really relying on Tarrant, Cunnington, just the same old guys. And... I think we really need to just blow up the list, to be honest, and start again. So you've got you got two picks in the first round already, mm. Dylan. Yeah. Are you saying that you'd you'd go harder for more, and if that meant that you had to part with a couple of names for high picks, this is the year to do it? Do you think? Well, I think uh, I think you can't wait any longer. I feel like there's a few clubs that are already ahead of us in that respect, and if you look at what Brisbane have done, they were like us a couple of years ago. And they got some good young draft picks and they surrounded them with experienced talent like Hodge and Zorko and these sorts. And look at them now. Yeah, and it can. And this is the thing. You, Brisbane's a good example, Dylan. Appreciate your call. Let, let's not forget where Brisbane were a few years ago. They were a very ordinary footy team, but they made some smart decisions. They brought in the right people. And I think the Kangaroos have got the right people for what it's worth. That's not their issue right now. We shouldn't forget that they've been up for quite some time kangaroos so they just they missed out on the finals last year but they've been up and around for quite some time and in doing that I mean they haven't cashed in as perhaps as much they should have they got to uh, a prelim in 2014 they got a prelim in 2015 I reckon they made the first week of finals and lost to Adelaide in 2016 they've been around the mark they haven't had the ultimate success that is part of the price that you pay, I suppose, for being up for a while as well, is that you you do sometimes forego those picks and you trade them to get players into your club that are mature because you think you're at a certain position. But at two and five now, uh, and with the way that the season's going, the year's gone. Uh, there's some big decisions to be made at the Kangaroos. Dylan, appreciate your call. I can hear it in your voice. There's a bit of frustration as a North Melbourne supporter. Stephen's in Werribee. Stephen, good evening. Hey, buddy. Come on in, Steve. Uh, yeah, good, buddy. I'm just talking about thinking, thinking about North Melbourne skills. Yep. They couldn't hit a barn door on the best day out, right? 
I've been watching. I watch the VFL a lot, and I watched um, them play free. The twos are the seconds are terrible. So the seconds are the ones coming up, and and their skills are like shocking. They couldn't even, nothing. And yeah. It's so hard to watch. I love them, but they can't do no, like even if Hawthorne, like Hawthorne, they, they lack um, certain things, but they're very good at. The, they hit the target. North they couldn't hit it. Hit, hit a door, mate. And and part of that, Stephen, part of that comes back to drafting as well. Some clubs and and for a long time there. Hawthorne were the exact same. They were drafting players uh, and there was a priority placed on the way that you kick the footy. Others have done the same. Uh, perhaps that hasn't been the biggest priority for North Melbourne. Perhaps there are some blokes who aren't holding up their end of the bargain when it comes to their ball use as well. I think the unanimous view is that this is the, the year for the Kangaroos to do it and this is the time to do it. And they've had some fabulous players at their footy club, but the reality is that in the next three to four years, they're probably not going to be winning a premiership, you would suggest, with the way things are going right now. So then you start to talk about, well, who's part of the next premiership after that? And if you're going off that logic, you can't see Sean Higgins being a part of it. Can't see Todd Goldstein being a part of it. Unlikely. Jack Siebel's been a warrior of that football club. It can't see him being part of it. That's just a couple of names. Ben Cunnington, another. Jamie McMillan. So with that being said, is anyone untouchable on the North Melbourne list? Is there one player, two players, three players more that are untouchable on the Kangaroos list or is anyone up for grabs? 0433 98 11 16 on the text, 1300 736 736 on the phone. Rob from Roeville, you've been there for a little while. Do me a favour and stay there. You'll be first up on the other side of this. I've got an AFL fan emblem pack to give away. You can stick to vehicles, laptops, most things. Visit fanemblems.com.au for more information. News coming through regarding the fixture. Tom Morris from Fox Footy reporting the AFL will release the next month of fixtures tonight. Uh, Fox Footy is understanding that despite some discussion around a one-week publication, that four rounds of matches will be released. As soon as we have those for you, we'll bring them to your attention. It's time on here on SEN. More calls on the Kangaroos after this. SEN, your home of sport. It's time on with Jack Everett. They're delusional with where they see their list, North Melbourne. They they needed to do that, and Brad was spot on in hindsight. This is what they've done, and this is why I say they are delusional. When you look at the players that they have traded in and the players that they have tried to trade in, this isn't a club that understands where they are at. Now, where they are at is 12 months behind Sydney, 12 months behind Adelaide, uh, probably 12 months behind Fremantle. Welcome back to Time On on SEN. That was Kane Corns last night on Footy Classified with his views on the Kangaroos. What are yours? one 736 736 on the phone or on the speckle text 0433 98 11 16. If you were list manager, what decisions would you make? I posed the question about Ben Brown. I asked whether, A, he's available, whether he should be the sort of player that should be shopped around. Damien Barrett reporting today that he very much is. And if, the, if that is the case, what sort of deal and what sort of pick would you do or some sort of trade deal for Ben Brown to get him at your footy club? Just before we get stuck into your calls and your texts on this one, uh, news starting to filter through about the fixture and the way that it's going to look for the next batch of matches. As soon as that happens, uh, we'll have that for you. And Ed Kernow is going to join us in about 15 minutes from now as well from the Blues. But uh, the Western Bulldogs and Richmond are going to kick off round nine at Metricon Stadium. I would imagine that's going to be a Thursday game. Lawrence, thumbs up. Yep, that'll be a Thursday game. 
and then there'll be 20 consecutive days of matches to come after that. Footy, 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 and more footy. Some are going to love it. Some are probably going to get a little bit sick of it towards the end. We spoke about that last week, but let's get the games in the book. Let's have them there just in case for whatever reason we need to press pause in the season again or we actually can distribute a buy or something along those lines. We've got the games in the bank to do so. As soon as we get that fixture, we'll have it for you here on Time On. Rob's in Roville wants to talk about Ben Brown. G'day, Rob. G'day, mate. How are you? Good. Thanks for holding on. That's all right. Um, just on Ben Brown, look, as a, as a pie supporter, I'd, I'd have him in a heartbeat. You know, we haven't had a genuine full forward since, you know, early Travis Cloak and before that, Sav Rocker. And to be honest, I'd offer, I would offer a first rounder and I'd throw a, you know, a Mason Cox into the mix. Or you look at a Braden side for us, isn't getting a game, you might even offer mm. him up, you know, with a deal with North. But, you know what, Ben Brown's kicking, you know, 60 goals a year. I think any team would have him. Um, you know, out of the goal square, definitely. And how do you reckon he'd go, Rob, if, if he had Scott leading on to some of Scott Pendlebury's footies going inside 50 no, at the moment or, you know, steel side goals. bottom? Yeah. To kick 80, not 60, I think, you know, with our, our midfield and our, you know, our half forwards, we'd get the ball to him in, in, in a heartbeat and he'd, he'd kick goals, definitely. Oh, it's, the, it's the most obvious fit. Rob, appreciate your call. Stay on the line. Lawrence will sort you out with a, an AFL fan emblem pack. You can stick them to vehicles, laptops and most things. Jump online at fanemblems.com.au for retailers. It's the fit that made the most sense to me today when I was thinking about this and knowing that we we're going to talk about it. It's, it's the one that makes the most sense is Collingwood. For where they are right now and their ladder position and the fact that they're very much in the hunt for a, a premiership and yeah, it fits. Port Adelaide have got Charlie Dixon working beautifully. I spoke about the Lions and, and their setup. Yeah, it, it makes an enormous amount of sense to me. There'll be others where he would fit for sure. The Bombers, depending on what happens with Joe Danaher, he could just as easily be a very good fit for Essendon if Joe goes or even if Joe stays. But basically hasn't played any footy for the last two and a half years. He'd be, he'd be a good fit there as well, I reckon. Uh, Mark off the text, 0433981116. I mentioned there's a stack of texts on this one. We're already up to about 130 in the show. We've been going 25 minutes. Mark says North should also trade Goldstein. He's worth a top three draft pick. A top three draft pick and also a future second round pick. I don't know whether he's worth a top three. Um, is he worth a first round? Yeah, I reckon. Probably back end of the first round for Todd Goldstein. His form's been immaculate. Um, it's becoming pretty clear, I reckon, that there's, there's the top four of Ruckman in the comp. is Gorn and Grundy, who are the, the benchmarks. Goldstein, not far behind that. And you can some will say what they like about Nick Natnew and his influence on games and whether he does enough. But uh, I've got him in that top bracket of Ruckman. No questions asked. Rob in South Australia says, hi there, I'm a Crows man. Ben Brown would be a waste at Crowland because we can't de- deliver to our forwards and Matt Crouch keeps handballing backwards. Yeah, I, I don't think Adelaide's the sort of fit for someone like Ben Brown because for everything that we've just been talking about with the Kangaroos and maybe now being the time that they go back to the draft and they load up with a batch of youngsters, Adelaide are in parts already there and they're going to be having the same sorts of conversations right now and they'll be having the same sorts of conversations at the end of the year about the state of their list as well and I'm certain that the discussions will revolve around the Crouch brothers again. For the last two to three years, it seems like every time we get to trade period, one of Brad or Matt are, are either available, looking at their options, or or the club are looking at them uh, as well. This might be the year to pull the trigger on one or potentially both of them as well. I thought they were a little bit better last night against St Kilda, but 
Uh, they're obviously a long way off uh, at the moment. Dom's a North Melbourne supporter. Uh, says North Melbourne 2017 15th, 2018 9th, last year 12th and currently 17th. So we haven't been around the mark uh, recently. Mortimer in Cranbourne North says, as a long-suffering D's fan, I tell North not to trade all the senior fellows too quickly. All good to draft kids, but they need on-field teachers too to balance it out. Yeah, you can't trade, you can't trade Cunnington, Zebel, Higgins, Brown, Goldstein, uh, Tarrant, all in the one year. That's that's not the way to go about it. But I think one or two is the way to look at it for sure. I asked you as well if there's any that you wouldn't trade. Are there any that are untouchable at this point that you think for the kangaroos' future that if the door was knocked on, or in fact the door wouldn't be knocked on at the moment, um, if you got the Zoom call from another club that you'd say, look, sorry, not for sale. I had a couple. I ended up with five, actually. And every one of these is geared around the future and what it looks like, bar one. So Robbie Tarrant's my bar one. I just think he's such a fabulous player. He's one of the best key backs in the competition. He's had a tough couple of weeks, but they've been conceding inside 50s ad nauseum and any sort of key defender is going to struggle to keep all those balls out. But uh, I wouldn't be accepting any sort of offer for Robbie Tarrant unless it was absolutely extraordinary. Um, I wouldn't be accepting an offer for Jai Simpkin. They put all of the work in with Simpkin. They've been patient. They've waited and waited and waited uh, based on his draft selection and based on what they knew that he was capable of. And now he's starting to deliver. He's averaging 22 disposals this year. I think he's having a fantastic season for them. Um, again, playing midfield in a team that are getting beaten pretty badly at the moment. I wouldn't do a deal for Jai Simpkin. To me, he wouldn't be one that I'd be making a move on. I wouldn't be making a move on Cameron Zerha. He's just made of the right stuff, this, this guy. He's, he's going to be a serious player at this club for a long time. And his absence was noticeable, I thought. When he didn't play uh, on the weekend, you could tell straight away. They just lacked that toughness. They lacked that forward 50 tackling pressure. I wouldn't be having any sort of entertaining any sort of offers for him. The other two are Taron Thomas and Bailey Scott. They're two draft picks uh, from last year or from the year before. Sorry, who we got our first looks at last year. Uh, they are a massive part of your future. Kangaroos fans, most that we have on this show, text in or call in, have consistently asked why Bailey Scott's not in the team. Um, I think they should give him an extended look at things now. So I, I wouldn't be entertaining any sort of offer for Bailey Scott and I certainly wouldn't be entertaining any sort of offer for Taron Thomas. Outside of that, I can't make a case for any others. You've got to be bold and you've got to be tough in these sort of circumstances. Phil's in Adelaide. G'day, Phil. G'day, head on. Good, thanks. Uh, a couple of things on North. Um, the first one is I think and I'm a Northwood supporter. Ben Brown's a great player. You don't kick as many goals as he has without being a good player. But our ball movement is just diabolical. Like, no wonder the bloke can't take a mark and kick a goal. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but the other point, I think, you know, there's, there's a bit of history being rewritten here. Like, when Brad Scott got sacked last year, yeah, he was sacked because we were one-dimensional. And I, I agreed with that. Like, I think we were really bad towards the end of his time. But suddenly, he's been presented as the greatest list manager of all time and that he knew where the list was at and... Like I think history is being rewritten to suit the situation, isn't it? In what way? Sorry, Phil, just expand on that a little bit more for us, if you can. Well, I think at the time, Brad Scott was viewed as sort of, you know, the, the players and the coach were out of sync and they didn't really sort of gel with each other and maybe the players needed a new message and things like that. But some of the, some of the commentary today has been, oh, Brad Scott knew exactly where the list was at and the club didn't agree with him. And, like, 
suddenly he's gone from being, you know, a stale coach with a stale list to the greatest list manager in history. Yeah, I, I, I think part of that conversation, without being in the room at the time, you, you don't know exactly what was said when they spoke about these things, and they probably spoke about it for quite a while. The time for a change was there. It wasn't just, to me, it wasn't just about the, the strategy going forward. The players needed a change. The club needed a change. And I reckon Brad, by his own admission, would say that he just about got everything that he could out of that group. I have heard a little bit of that today. And there might be a, a layer of, of truth and fact to it. But the, the fact remains for me that they definitely needed to make a change and a good one uh, at that. Dom, thank you for your text as well. I knew I'd forget one. I was writing these notes as I was pulled over on the side of the road so that I didn't forget them on my way up. I knew I'd forget someone. Luke Davies Uniac, not for sale in my view. You've also put up Will Walker from the 2017 draft. I haven't seen enough of Will play yet to be able to say that with certainty. I have seen enough of Luke Davies Uniac that I like, but that's the future strategy. They're not the players you're sort of trading because you're not going to get the same value for them right now. So, Dom, appreciate your text. Uh, Also off the text... The Cats or the Ds, the Cats could use Ben Brown at full forward, put Asava Radigalia in the back pocket, uh, in the forward pocket, rest on the bench he needs to develop. And I reckon Ben Brown would maybe be a good fit as, at Melbourne as well. And Dean says, I'd like to see Brown at the Hawks swap him with O'Brien. So there's a lot of love for Ben Brown tonight. Lots of love off the text that fans from other clubs would be very keen to get his services. We'll see how it all pans out. There's some big decisions to be made for the Kangaroos. We await the fixture for the next few weeks. It should drop shortly. And Ed Kerno will join us from the Carlton Footy Club next. As we say thanks to all of our healthcare workers in Victoria who are doing an outstanding job. Maccas are shouting any healthcare worker a free small McCafe hot drink or medium soft drink from tomorrow until the 19th of August. Great supporters of this show, great supporters of SEN and great supporters of healthcare workers in Victoria. Maccas, thank you very much. Ed Kerno next. On SEN, your home of sport. Time on with Jack Heverin. Well, what a tough shot this is. This might just be the last action of the game. You can't play on. If he, like, the siren will go in any second if he plays on. Oh, he now knows. Robbie Gray, Gee, after the a, siren. That's an impossible kick. To win the game for Port Adelaide. He's done Mission Impossible before. Right forward pocket. Ball in the hands of the right man for Port Adelaide. They pitched it! (laughs) What a star. Robbie Gray with ice running through his veins. Helps Port Adelaide to the most unlikely of victories. Welcome back to Time On here on SEN. It was a heartbreaker on the weekend. The Blues had done a lot of the front running for a lot of the game. And Robbie Gray broke their hearts at the end of the game. Ed Kerno is having a massive season for the Blues and had a big game on Sunday as well and joins us tonight here on SEN. Ed, welcome back. Oh, thanks for having me, Jack. Yeah, it was a, um, it was a bummer on the weekend and um, it was a quality game and, and Porter playing some good footy, so, so good on them, I suppose. Um, where were you when Robbie Gray marked with about 20 seconds to go? Do you remember where you were? I think I was on the wing. Um, maybe I should have been pressuring the, the <laughs> kicker. Um, yeah, it was, it was disappointing. And, and look, we felt like we did a, did a lot right on the weekend, but Port, um, to their credit, they got the, got the win. And, and Robbie Gray is a great player, so well done to him for kicking that goal late in the, late in the game. How's the re- review been of the game since then? What did Tiggy have to say? 
Oh, look, there were, there were good things that, that we did during the game and, and, and playing quality opposition, but then there was there was areas we let ourselves down in. So, um, look, we just, we just did the review today and um, we were a little bit disappointed with the areas of the game. We thought we could have um, potentially uh, put a bit better pressure on uh, their runners out of the back line and, and kept the ball in our forward half. But as it turned out, you know, Port played a, a high, a fast-paced game and... Um, you know, it was hard to stop. Uh, that high, fast-paced game that you're talking about that Port played, there, there's a bit of a pattern starting to emerge with you guys as well, isn't there? You're plus 44 in uncontested on the weekend, plus 24 in marks. Are we starting to get a bit of an idea about how you're going to play your footy this year? I think the guys are, are gaining confidence with um, how we're moving the ball. Um, there's certainly um, a, a style that's exciting to the group. Uh, I still think we can't go away from the fact that that style comes from um, contested football and, and being able to put pressure on the opposition. So, um, you know, we're still working at our game, but we're certainly loving playing together as a group and, and the style we're playing. Can a loss like that, and you've been around footy a long time now, can a loss like that be the making of a group? Can you come away from that and, and feel the disappointment, feel the heartbreak, and next time you're in a similar situation, not want to experience that again? Yeah, I, I think... Um, I think really uh, the way we played on the weekend, there's still a lot of uh, lessons we can take out of that game internally where I think we can add add to our game um, and improve on going forward. I think the belief there is a group. So I think that, you know, each week, whoever we play, there's a strong belief that if we, if we can play the style um, style of game we want to, then, then we're a chance to win, that's for sure. Just on the, the game plan aspect of it and the game style, how long does it take to implement a, a new game plan? When you come in and you have a change of coach like you had the back end of last year and now David Teague, it's his team, can it take a while to fully implement a new structure? I think it's probably more around the belief and, and getting good players to... Um, you know, to, to play the way we want to play, but then also start to believe that that's that's a style that's going to win us games. And then, and the more players that are kind of um, buy in with that philosophy, um, and then and then going out, um, giving the effort and seeing the results, um, then that goes a long way. So, so the more we show up and, and put in put in effort and performance performances that we've been doing the last uh, month or so, I think that's when the belief builds and, and then all of a sudden we'll get going. Ed Kerner joining us tonight here on SEN. Uh, tell us about training at the moment, Ed. We, you, we, you've had the chance to have a bit of a dip in the ocean late in the day and you've had your review session. How is life in the hub at the moment? Yeah, well, we've just come out of our 14-day quarantine. So um, we've got this week to, to enjoy enjoy I suppose the spoils of the beautiful coastline up north um, and then we're back into a 14 day quarantine so just really relying on uh, really good energy in the group to um, to make the most of uh, these strange times I suppose Is it is it challenging in many ways? I mean there's a lot of people that are doing it tough at the moment and have to do quarantine etc but for a massive group like that is, is it harder or easier given that you're all together? Yeah I, I think uh, um, being together helps uh, you just realised how much you rely on um, one another. Um, being in a team environment is kind of why I enjoy playing team sport. And, um, it's really important that, that everyone brings good energy um, and, and that basically we, 
we're dragging each other along in, in a difficult time, but we've got each other. So um, in, in a way, we're fortunate to, to have a big group in, in a hub um, quarantine environment. Tell us about your big boys, Harry Mackay and Mitch McGovern. Their last two to three weeks have been really, really good. We were talking earlier about things starting to click and things starting to come together. Do you get the sense that these two are, A, getting used to being in the same forward line together and, B, understanding what it takes to, to make it at the top level? Yeah, well, oh, Harry's had a um, had a bit of an interrupted preseason, so he's a couple of games into it now and, and um, starting to show show everyone um, a few of his tricks, which is it was just very exciting. Um, I think Gar's been playing some consistent football, um, and his uh, pressure and uh, intent has uh, has been great for a few games. And you've got Big Levi as well, who's um, who's been able to clunk some marks and, and really be in presence for us on, on the ground and, and, and as a uh, backup ruck. So fortunate to have that group working together with um, with the new recruits in, in Martin and Eddie and, and, and Gibbons. Um, so, yeah, look, we feel like we've got a pretty solid unit down there at the moment and those guys are loving their footy. Yeah, your forward line, it, it's just changed significantly, hasn't it? And you mentioned the, the addition of Jack Martin and Eddie Betts. It's it's a very different looking forward line this year and it's a forward line that I was, I'd imagine as a midfielder putting it in there, you've got a lot of options now. Yeah, exactly. We just probably need to get it to them um, a bit more than what we did on the weekend <laughs> and we look very dangerous when we do. So, no, it's, it's really exciting and... Um, they're a good, fun group, so it's uh, credit to Cam Bruce, who's, who's working with the forwards. Tell us about the Kangaroos on the weekend before we let you go. That They've had their own troubles at the moment. I'm sure you would have started to take a little bit of a look at them and what's coming up this weekend. What are you expecting? Uh, Kangaroos play a strong brand of contested footy and they're a very physical side. And um, They've had the wood over us in the last few years, so I'm expecting a, a proud Kangaroos that... Um, are going to bring the fight to us. So we're going to have to be well prepared and, and we're, we're looking forward to a big game. Lastly, before I let you go, this we're, we're awaiting the fixture to drop for certainly for the next round, but for the next couple of rounds after it as well. The, the talk is that there's going to be a lot of games in a short space of time. Is this where we start to see a little bit about the, the depth of teams lists and we start to see player number 27, 28, 29 because some guys just won't get up after four days? Look, potentially, I know I can only speak for our club and we're prepared for these five-day breaks and, and the players, uh, mentally, we've got our heads around um, what's to come, I suppose. And um, look, I, I think our club's well prepared and, and ready for it and the players are actually looking forward to that challenge. So, um, yeah, bring it on. <laughs> this Saturday is the second back-to-baggers game for the year. Thanks to the Blues co-major partner, Hyundai Carlton. Players will wear the name of Carlton members on the back of their Guernsey. Blue Blankers have put this club on their backs, and now it's time to return the favour. Ed, always great to catch up. Thanks for joining us tonight, and good luck for the weekend. Cheers, Jack. Thanks for chat. He's a good man, Ed Kerno. Great to have him on time on as well. 0433 98 11 16. You can join me off the text like, like this one. Dave from Hamilton says, thanks for nothing. Carlton supporter, I just listened to you for the second time, which I said I wouldn't do. Sorry, Dave. I do apologise, Dave. I know that you probably didn't want to hear that one again. Hell of a game on Sunday. Just didn't go your way, unfortunately. And this one as well from Lee says, a message for Ed. I was on the stretcher carrying Ed off Sandringham years ago. I thought the kid would never play again. What an out-and-out champion. Determined, driven and committed and simply inspirational. We'll come back after this. A little bit of Simon Goodwin from breakfast this morning. That's coming your way next. And 
We should have the fixtures land in the next couple of minutes. We've seen a couple of snippets and a couple of little tidbits starting to make their way out. It's a very, very different fixture. Some stuff that you haven't seen before. Trust me. It's coming up next on Time On. On SEN, your home of sport. Time On with Jack Everett. Good to have your company. It's time on here on SEN through until 8 o'clock tonight. Special two-hour edition, 0433 98 11 16. You can join me on the text. Still a lot of text coming through about the Kangaroos. We spoke about them off the top of the show today. The fixture starting to make its way through. I mentioned that it's one that's very, very different. The Dogs in Richmond will start round nine on a Wednesday. Apologies, I did say before that I thought it was a Thursday. I hadn't seen the fixture. It will be a Wednesday on Thursday. Carlton and Hawthorne will play at 5.40. And then Melbourne and Port Adelaide will play at 10 past 8 on a Thursday. Now, there's something we've never seen before. There'll be all sorts of reasons for this, of course. And we'll dig a little bit deeper after 7 o'clock. On Friday, Essendon will play Brisbane. Saturday is North versus Adelaide. St Kilda versus Sydney. The Eagles and the Cats. And on Sunday, just the two games, the Suns and the Giants. And Frio versus the Pies. More on the fixture as it's starting to make its way out. Uh, in the next few minutes, we'll have it for you across the night here on SEN. And don't forget, as I mentioned, two-hour edition tonight of Time On. But Joe's in Roeville, wants to have a chat about the Hawks. Hello, Joe. How you going, Jack? How are you? Oh, I'm excellent. I spoke to you last week, and I'm actually more disappointed than what I was last week. <laughs> <laughs> After the Hawks effort. I remember. Very the, disappointed. I, re- I picked the voice straight away. What did you think? No. I, 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 me personally, Jack, I think a lot of players at Hawthorne are getting easy games, yeah? Players like Tom Scully, he shouldn't be playing. Would you, would you agree with that? Uh, th- they were that, – that was – to follow up last week with that again on the weekend was disappointing. And, look, Scully's not playing great footy right now, but that, it's yeah. it's just not working, is it? Whatever you try, uh, whatever they're trying, Joe, it's it just doesn't seem to be working. Even Warpool, he's half the player he was last year. But probably the, the worst thing that's ever happened for him is Mitchell to come back. I'm not saying that in a bad way, but he's actually gone backwards now. No, Terry Wallace, you know? Terry Wallace, Joe, has said this. Appreciate your call. Always nice to hear from you. Terry Wallace has said this a few times on, on this station, uh, on the match committee on Thursday. He said it a couple of times in our footy pre-games as well. He actually thinks that Mitchell and Warple, they won best and fairest when the other wasn't really playing or playing through the midfield, that they haven't worked out how to be in the same team together as yet. But even from the weekend, I thought Sicily was great. Henderson had one of his better games. Tom Mitchell was steady. Will Day is probably the, the big takeaway from uh, from the weekend. I reckon I thought he was fantastic. But then, I mean, around that, Tim O'Brien had very little influence on the game. Ben McAvoy didn't have a major influence on the game as well. Jack Gunston kicked three, but outside of that, I mean, I suppose as a forward, all you can do is kick three. Yeah, there's a gap. There's sort of a gap that exists right now between their, their top end and their bottom end and not much in between. Um, Clarko's got some work to do. He is the most qualified coach in the competition to do it and there continues to be a lot of discussion uh, about the Hawks. And I'll share a little bit of Chris Pelkin, who's worked in the list management space with Hawthorne and with St Kilda. I'll share a little bit of that with you uh, next hour as well. He was with Dwayne today and had some very interesting things to say about where the Hawks sit right now, but there's um, they're another one. There's some significant decisions that a few clubs have got to make at the end of the year. And we spoke about North Melbourne. They've been the theme of the first hour. We touched a, a little bit on Adelaide, as if there was any ground left to cover on the Crows. And 
You could put Hawthorne into that same bracket as well. I'm, I'm with you, Joe. I thought they were a bit disappointing on the weekend. I thought they might have put up a little bit more than what they did. Coming up next hour, Damien Martin will join us, retiring superstar of Australian basketball, a resume like no other. He'll join us on the day that he announces his retirement. We'll head to England as well. Talk to Henry Moran from the BBC about the Ben Stokes show and what a show it was. We'll talk holding the ball. We'll talk more fixture and more of your calls after this. It's time on. Special two-hour edition of Time On tonight. And, gee, I'm glad that we're doing this because the fixture has dropped for the next few weeks of footy. I'm going to take it from top to bottom with you very, very shortly. There is a lot to take in. This hour as well, we'll be joined by Damian Martin, Perth Wildcats superstar, Australian basketball superstar, who today announced his retirement after six championships, six-time defensive year player of the year, and it's now got the award named after him. Plus, we'll head to London. We'll talk to Henry Moran about the England versus West Indies series as well. Jack Heverin joining you on Time On. As I mentioned, special two-hour edition tonight. Still a stack of time to take your calls. one 736 736 on the phone or on the text as well on 0433 98 11 16. If you missed the first hour of the show, we spoke to Ed Kerner. That'll be up on the podcast very shortly. And we spoke a lot about the kangaroos. But I want to give you the open chance now on 1300 736 736. Tell me about your team on the weekend. Tick or cross? Simple one, easy one. What did you see from your team on the weekend that you liked? Or perhaps you saw something from your team on the weekend that you were not a fan of. You thought it missed the mark. 0433 98 11 16 on the text as well. Some injury news coming through. Jack Siebel to miss the next four to five games. That coming through via North Melbourne this afternoon. Uh, Jordan Degoe will certainly be unavailable for at least the next eight weeks for Collingwood. That uh, means that he's no certainty to be playing finals at this stage, but you would expect that they'll do everything that they possibly can to get him up and going for it. Aaron Norton started to begin running today for the Western Bulldogs with his ankle injury still a few weeks away. Joel Selwood's hamstring is a standard, if there's such a thing as a standard hamstring these days, but uh, he's expected to be out for the next two to three weeks as well. And no surgery for Jordan Clark at the Cats with his shoulder concern, but another one who won't be there for the next few weeks as well. Uh, also mentioned that the AFL made the, I wouldn't say the unprecedented move. It's not often that they do a lot of this. Um, the AFL umpires department made contact with both Adelaide and St Kilda to discuss a number of umpiring decisions from the weekend's game, from last night's game that were uh, topical, that didn't make an enormous amount of sense, and some particularly around the holding the ball rule, which were just confusing. If you've got some thoughts on what you saw last night or what you saw from across the weekend. With the holding the ball decision, one three hundred seven three six seven three six. The thing that seems staggering to me, and this is no new revelation, 
is that, is that we, can, we just, can just completely flip a rule around like that mid-season. I can't think of another sport in the world that in the middle of a season would just say, okay, we know that that's the way that the rule was adjudicated and officiated last week, but now this week we're doing it this way. I can't think of another sport that would, would possibly do that. We tweak this game. It's such a fabulous game, Australian rules football, but sometimes we tweak it within an inch of its existence to the point where it's just confusing for all of us. And I'm starting to get a little bit concerned that it is headed that way uh, as well. It have been for a number of years. Um, I'd actually like us to see for the next two or three years, just press stop. Don't touch the game. Leave it the way it is. Let the coaches work it out. Let the players work it out. And if we've still got any massively glaring problems after that, then we go from there. We don't need a rules committee who need to justify their existence. We don't need any of that. We just, if anything, we just need to leave the game alone for a little while. And I know that there's been a lot of criticism on umpires. Just remember that the umpires are the ones, and I'm not sticking up for them here, but they have to operate within the rules and the guidelines of the game that they are given. So they're told how to officiate. They're told the rules that they have to operate within. And they're told that if there's more emphasis on something like holding the ball or a change like holding the ball, they're, chain, they're told to be the ones to follow those rules and engineer those rules. So I understand, and look, Twitter last night was all over the umpires, and, and I understand that there was a lot of upset people watching that game last night. I'd be just hesitant to blame the umpires for all of it. They can only operate within the guidelines that they've been given. one three hundred seven three six seven three six to join me on that, or how your team went on the weekend, a tick across, 0433981116. It's up on our website now, sen.com.au, that the AFL have now announced the next four rounds of matches. There was a, a suspicion that we would get one round. We've got all four. Now we know what it all is going to look like. Try and get your head around this. 33 games to be played back-to-back from Wednesday, July 20, across 20 straight days. Four rounds, one after the other, after the other, after the other, after the other. There's going to be some footy in Tassie. North Melbourne are going to play in Hobart at Blunston Arena in rounds 11 and 12. Now, this is the fixture as it looks subject to change. Uh, Wednesday night, July 29. So next Wednesday, it'll be the Western Bulldogs and Richmond at Metricon Stadium. Thursday, I mentioned that this has got a bit of a different look to it, but Carlton and Hawthorne will play at Optus Stadium. They'll be on their way to their west after, to the West after this weekend's game, and Ed Kerno spoke about that last hour. Carlton and Hawthorne will play at 5.40 Eastern Standard Time, which is 3.40 in the afternoon on a, on a Thursday in, in Perth. And then Melbourne and Port Adelaide to play at the Gabba at 8 o'clock after that. On Friday, it'll be Essendon and Brisbane at the standard 7.50 time. On Saturday, there'll be a North Melbourne and Adelaide game at 2.35, a St Kilda and Sydney game at the Gabba at 5.10, and West Coast and Geelong will play Saturday night at 8.10. And then on Sunday, no 1 o'clock game, no early game, which is interesting. I quite like that fixture um, in, in round nine. There'll be no early game. It'll be the Gold Coast and the Giants at 3.30, Fremantle and Collingwood at 6.10 p.m. So... There's a fair bit there to take in, and that's just from one fixture. And then, so that's Sunday, August 2, that round nine finishes. 
Monday, August 3, round 10 starts with Port Adelaide and the Western Bulldogs. Then we have a Tuesday night game, two games on the Wednesday of round 10, a Geelong North Melbourne game at 5.40 and Adelaide and Melbourne game at 7.40. The same on a Thursday. And then on Friday, this is where it can get a little bit confusing. Then on Friday, it's Essendon and the Giants at 7.50 on August the 7th. And forgive me for the pause. I'm just trying to get my head around this myself. So essentially round 10 finishes on Friday, August 7, if that makes sense. Round 11 starts Saturday, the 8th of August, if that makes sense as well. And in that round 10 game, Fremantle, West Coast, Hawthorne and Carlton have got buys. In the following round, the Giants and Sydney have got buys. That'll be so that they can travel to the West and be part of the next group of matches in round number 12. So in round 11, we've got a Saturday game at 4 o'clock and 7.40. We've got a Sunday game at 1.30, which will be 3.30 Melbourne time because it's in Perth. And then a 6.10, we've got two games on the Monday night. So a 6.10 game at the Gabba and an 8.40 game at Optus Stadium. And then a Tuesday game and a Wednesday game. And then round 11 finishes on Wednesday, August the 12th. Round 12, well, that's going to start. Well, actually, no, that's going to be one big. No, it is round 12. Starts on Thursday, August the 13th. Forgive me for the confusion. I've literally looked at this during the ad break, so I'm trying to make sense of it all myself. It's just dropped in the last couple of minutes. The moral of the story is that we are now fixtured up until Monday, August the 17th with Richmond and the Gold Coast at the Gabba, and that should get us through to round 12. So with a 17-round season, to have up until round 12 in the book, there's a lot that can change between then in terms of uh, COVID and restrictions being increased or potentially, and I'm saying this with my fingers crossed as someone who lives in Melbourne, potentially being lifted. Who knows what it all looks like? But um, that's as far as we've got. Monday, August the 17th, And there is going to be a game every single day. There are going to be games played every single day across the next 20 days. 33 games in 20 days. Four rounds of footy back-to-back. And as soon as one round finishes, the very next day, the next one will start. Um, I hope I explained that to you as best as I possibly could. I'm trying to still work it out myself. Having heard all of that, and you may have had the chance to jump online at sen.com.au and have a read of it, what have you made of it? one 736 736 As a fan, we sort of touched on this last week a little bit, but it was all hypotheticals. We didn't know what it looked like then. As a fan, does it excite you? Are you pumped to have that much footy? I was talking to my dad on the way up today who has unfortunately laid up a little bit at the moment. He loves his footy. I reckon he would rival Terry Wallace as someone who would watch every minute of every game. My old man watches every minute of every game and he is pumped. Well, he can't go anywhere at the moment. He's pumped. But there'll be others who might be thinking, how the bloody hell am I going to fit all this in? And maybe you can't. one 736 736 on the phone or 0433-981116 on the text. Lee says, good luck with super coach, boys and girls. Yeah, I would think the people involved in, in fantasy footy are looking at this and going, I don't know how we're going to make this work. I'm not sure how it's going to happen. I don't know either. John's in Greensboro wants to talk about the holding the ball rule. John, thanks for holding on. Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, just that you, you touched on the inconsistency earlier on, and it frustrates me when there's a decision that should go the other way, and then you also hear the commentators go on and say, 
Well, as long as they are consistent from here onwards and officiate it in that way. Now, that's not correct. I mean, if a goal umpire misses, makes the wrong call and calls a goal behind or the other way around, you don't expect the same thing from the next decision just so you can be consistent. It's either the right decision or the wrong decision. And that's how you get a, a much bigger gap between what it should be and what we expected. So I just, it frustrates me, and I think the commentators also make it worse by saying, well, if that's the way this game is going to be officiated, as long as it's consistent. It's just not right. If it was consistent, though, John, as a, as a fan, would you find it easier to follow along with if you knew, OK, well, if they're going to be hot on that, then, then at least we know that that's the case? Would you find it easier to follow? No, not, not really, because you just want to try and get as close to the right decision as possible. So, uh, you know, just because a team of umpires, uh, you know, go on a different momentum, it doesn't make it right. So the, the aim should always be to be as close as you can to the right decision. There should be less room for error rather than making it subjective all the time. Yeah, and I reckon there is, John. appreciate your call. I reckon there is. Part of why Australian rules football is so difficult to umpire in 2020 is that there are so many decisions that are based on one person's interpretation of the rule. So how umpire number 21 views a particular incident and whether in his mind there was prior opportunity or whether in his mind that player was trying to make an effort to move the footy on, how umpire number 21 looks at it could be completely different. If you put umpire number 22 next to him, and I'm just, pick, I'm just picking numbers here. I don't actually know those names. But if you put those two next to each other, umpire number 22 might say, no, no, I, I don't agree. I think that he didn't have prior opportunity there. Um, it's, it's part of what makes this game so great is that it's so instinctive. It's based on flow. It's based on living and playing in the moment. But it does make it a very, very hard game to umpire because of the way that it's so based on interpretation. Deliberate's a fantastic example of that. Um, there are some, there are guidelines and there are essentially rules for players to work with, uh, for umpires to work within. But again, a massive part of it is dictated on how you see the action. Was the player headed directly for the boundary line? Did the player have an opportunity to not go directly for the boundary line or keep it within the field of play? And how you see it is different to how I would see it and how the next person sees it. Um, these are the, these are the parameters that the umpires have got to work within. Um, I, I don't necessarily love that to some extent, but I mentioned before, I do have an enormous level of sympathy for umpires. They're the first ones to cop a caney. I couldn't believe, and I might be opening Pandora's box here when I say this, but I couldn't believe in the few minutes after the game on Sunday, I called the game with Plough for, uh, for Carlton and Port Adelaide. I couldn't believe that our text machine was rolling through with Carlton supporters saying that... Um, that they were robbed. I was staggered with that. I was staggered that within the minutes within the game in an unbelievably competitive performance from the Blues, one that they should have possibly won. They had their chances, but it's one that we shouldn't also forget that Port Adelaide had the last four scoring shots of the game and three of them were within 15 metres out from goal. I was really surprised at how many text messages we got through to SEN from Carlton fans saying that they were robbed and that they thought the umpires cost them. I couldn't have disagreed with that anymore. Absolutely couldn't have disagreed with that anymore. There are going to be 50-50 decisions throughout the game and 
You'll get some that'll go your way and you'll get some that'll go the other. But the umpires played, in my opinion, calling the game, played zero role in the result of that game. Port Adelaide kicked the first three and should have potentially put the game to bed at quarter time. Full credit to the Blues for fighting back, but then they had some momentum at various stages as well. And I reckon if you went back and watched it, you could put together cases that say that they should have won the game. And you could have also put together some cases that Carlton, with a minute and a bit to go, should have done some smarter things with the footy instead of giving it up and giving Port Adelaide the chance to go back inside 50. So my point is that there are a million different instances in a game where you can you can divide it up and you can look at ways where, well, if that had have happened, we wouldn't have lost, et cetera, et cetera. So many if, buts, and maybes. But the umpires cop a raw deal. We don't have to love them, and we don't have to think that they're always right, and I certainly don't either. But I do have some sympathy for them, understanding how game, how hard this game is to interpret and how hard this game is sometimes to operate within the rules because some of the rules hand all of the power to, to the umpire and say, you decide based on the way that you see it. And because of that, we're not going to agree on everything we see. It's a tough gig. 0433 98 11 16 or on the phone 1300 736 736. Maria brings up a good point here. Maria, this might be the text of the night, I reckon. Look at the way some players kick at goal. How could the umpire ever judge that a player kicked the ball out of bounds deliberately? Maria, bravo. Might be the best text of the night, I reckon. Damien Martin from the Perth Wildcats, who today announced his retirement and from today will have an award named in his honour. Will join me next on Time On. Welcome back to Time On. Wonderful to have you with us. 0433 98 11 16 to join me on the text or on the phone. 1300 736 736. Some highlights there that, well, to be honest, we could have put a highlights package together that went for a hell of a lot longer than that. But the more time we spent playing his highlights, the less time we would have to talk to one of the great names of Australian basketball who has today announced his retirement. A resume like no other. Six championships, 342 games, six-time defensive player of the year and a very special accolade that we'll talk about in just a few moments as well. Damien Martin, welcome to SEN and wholeheartedly congratulations on an outstanding career. Yeah, thanks a lot. It's been a, a crazy day and an emotional day, but uh, one that I knew was inevitable. I've probably known for a long time it was coming up. I'd actually delayed it twice at the Wildcats <laughs> Media Guide, booked in two dates, and twice I called him. I was like, nah, still not ready, mate. Sorry. <laughs> but, uh, finally, finally got up there and announced it today, and have appreciated everything that's happened since then. So it's something you've been stewing on for a while? Yeah, well, ever since so, I actually tore my Achilles back in round four of the season. Mm. And when I got the results back from the MRI, and the surgeon literally looked at it and said, this is your career-ending injury and you want to get surgery next week. I kind of knew from that point that, uh, you know, an Achilles rupture or tear that required a full reconstruction at the age of 35 meant that, uh, you know, I was probably going to have to retire because I'd be 36 by the time I returned and I wouldn't be able to return to mid-season, late part of the season at best. So 
yeah, I had a, a had a bit of a roller coaster of emotions for you know the month or two following that, and then what it did, the silver lining, was give me a greater sense of appreciation and time, and probably the things I've taken for granted during most regular seasons. I started to really pay attention to them because I knew this was going to be my last one, even if I hadn't told all of my teammates at that point. Yeah, so that's a fascinating dynamic as well, isn't it? That you you're playing knowing that this is it, and you, it was a really closely guarded secret that you hadn't told anyone. So. Tell us about a couple of those little things that you wanted to appreciate for the last time. Uh, it's mainly the day-to-day things such as the mateship. You know, there's actually Mick of who's been an opponent of mine for a long time <laughs> and someone I've always respected. But he said you should play for the two R's, rings and relationships. And, mm. and I'll probably add a third one now. And, and, and that's, you know, just relishing every moment. And, and that's something I got to be able to do because I knew this was going to be my last one. So the banter on a day-to-day basis, actually, instead of saying, oh, we've got to travel to here or travel to there, saying, oh, great, I get to go and see another city. This could be the last time I you know, have this opportunity to go and see another city. And things I just really started seeing it from a different perspective. Um, but it was as, as mainly the mateship at that point of time. But then on game day, you know, game day is what I'm going to miss the most or one of the things I'll miss the most. Still my favourite day of the week and, and just, you know, acknowledging the roar of the crowd, you know, the build-up to the game. It's just, yeah, it's just a part of who I am now and, and I appreciate it more than ever in this last, you know, six months. I'd imagine that that, that roar and the ringing of your ears you, that you get from a packed house at RAC Arena and the Red Army, that'll stay with you forever, won't it? Oh, yeah. Well, I'll be uh, the newest member of the Red Army, so hopefully I'm out there being a part of the, the crowd that goes nuts when, you know, Bryce hits a big three or, you know, one of the other guys gets a dunk or a block shot or a steal. So it is. And it's funny because I've spoken to some of my mates who have retired, former teammates like Greg Hire, Martin Catalini, Matty Knight, and when they go to a game, there's so much you see as a Red Army or a supporter then you just never see as a player and he goes, you don't realise how much goes on during the game when you're yeah. in a timeout or during the flow of the game. So I'm excited to see what puts such a big smile on my three-year-old's face, Maggie, because, uh, you know, when she <laughs> introduces herself to anyone new, she still introduces herself as Maggie Martin from the Perth Wildcats. So <laughs> she, she lives and breathes it, and I absolutely adore that. Uh, there's no reason for that to change. What does the Perth Wildcats as an organisation mean to you? Oh, everything. I, I never thought... Like, I always loved the idea of being a one-club man. So when I signed with Sydney, uh, with the West Mm. Sydney Razorbacks, I thought, this is it. This is going to be who I play for for the rest of my career. And I was excited for that. When the club folded, it was actually, you know, one of the best things that could have happened to me because, you know, Rob Beveridge, who was our coach in Sydney, he got offered the job out here in Perth, brought me out here with him and some other players. And, yeah, from a professional standpoint to, you know, a personal standpoint, it's just been incredible. So the professionalism of the club, how it's received within not just the city of Perth, but the state of WA. There's just so many opportunities the club has given me on and off the court. And I can never say thank you enough for us to be even. So lessons I've learned from Jack Bendat as an owner, as someone that's done really well off the court, but how he still treats what he, you know, he bought the club as a present to the state <laughs> because he'd made so much money from the state. Yep. And, but now it became his pride and joy. And just how he approaches it with, you've got to be number one and you've got to be involved in a positive manner for the community. And those two things never changed over the course of, you know, 11 years wearing the, the red jersey and then, yeah, the supporters, you know. I, I remember when we had some Newcastle Falcons players come up to Gloucester and that was the highlight of my life growing <laughs> up at that point. Um, and then I remember writing an assignment on, um, on one of their players 
and you know to you know fast forward twenty odd years and you know to have kids email me questions because they're mm. writing an assignment on me. First and foremost, I think they've mistaken me for the cricketer, but I answer it anyway. <laughs> uh, You've got a good cover drive, and, I'm told. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Right. And it just it pinched me moments like that that. People thank me for having, you know, answered those questions. It's me that has, you know, a smile on my face when I receive those emails. So just a, a lot of small things that add up to a huge smile and a, and a big event. And then the main things like championships, you know, playing in front of big crowds, etc. Six-time champion Damien Martin joining me tonight here on SEN. You mentioned the start to your career was a rocky one. I, I reckon it's a bit of a trivia question, this one. Everyone would associate you with the Perth Wildcats. You're the heart and soul of, of that <laughs> basketball club. But you'll be under a lid one day on a, on a Coke bottle or something like that. Which club did Damien Martin start his NBL career at? You had two, you had two years at West Sydney where after college and yet everything, you come back to Australia to, to live the dream and it was anything but the dream the first two years, wasn't it? For a number of reasons that were mostly out of your control. Yeah, exactly. I, I loved playing in Sydney, but then I suffered a, a serious injury. I tore my right ACL, so I was out for you know, the most part of my rookie season. I think I played six games. But the mateships I developed were amazing. And just the, just being able to play in front of my family and friends at the professional level was incredible. But one thing I didn't realise was, you know, 12 months after the ACL, we'd be sitting around preparing for a game. And we got an email from our then owner right before Christmas, week before Christmas, saying, I'm sick of losing money. I'm uh, not paying you guys anymore. I've handed yeah. the licence back to the league. Uh, so we decided that, you know, the, the two American imports, they, they left. And then the rest of us stayed. And we decided we'll share the gate takings uh, for our only salary, uh, and you know, if anyone remembers, we changed our name by then to the Sydney Spirit. Sydney if anyone Spirit, remembers yeah. the Sydney Spirit days, um, <laughs> you know, we'd have 300 people to a game, so we'd literally walk out on the crowd, wave to mum and dad in the stands, and say, "Thanks for twenty dollars. We're going to divide this by fifteen on the stage." That was an incredible experience, but as, as a good introduction into the league. But then, yeah, one thing I learned from Perth. And Sydney is, is Sydney. I was a professional athlete because I got paid to do it. So it was my profession. But in Perth, you realise there's just a different calibre. At, at the Sydney, we had one full-time employee in the front office. At the Wildcats, we've got about 40. And just being professional and elite profession, you get paid to do it. Like I said, elite means you do all those cliche one percenters. And, and Sean Redditch was the prime example of that. Yep. You know, worked on his game at weights, worked on his game before training, after training. Uh, visualization, sports psychology, extra stretching, you know, diet was impeccable, so on and so forth. And he did, like I said, every single day of his career, not just after a loss, the four finals when media were there. And then because he did it, uh, just made two or three others do it. And then before he knew it, eight, nine, 10, 11 guys were sticking around for 40 minutes after training. And, and that's what I can say is the biggest difference is one was a professional club. Uh, the other was an elite club and I got to experience both. But I did, I did genuinely enjoy my time in Sydney. It was some good times. Uh, I could ask you forever about your career and, and I don't have the time available and I know you've got some other commitments as well. But uh, guarding Kevin Durant at the 2016 Olympics, how was that? <laughs> yeah, it was, it was amazing. I, I should write to him and say thank you for turning around and basically <laughs> handing me the ball uh, because... <laughs> Because I'll, I'll, I'll take it down as a steal or a block. But the funniest thing about the Kevin Durant stuff is in the moment, you know, it's just a moment within the game so you kind of move on. But as soon as we lost, we got back into the locker room and, I was, you know, all of us were livid that we, you know, what believed we'd blown an opportunity to beat the US. So it was, it was quite a bad, you know, locker room to be in as far as we're all frustrated and angry. But then I checked my phone and I had all these missed calls from my wife. And at the time, my wife was back in Perth, 38 weeks pregnant. Oh, and wow. so I'm thinking, oh, no, she's gone into labour. So I actually left the locker room, you know, before we'd really even had our coaches address post-game. 
and I started calling her and she's picked up and I was like, is everything okay? And she goes, oh yeah, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. But when you, you know, when you stole the ball from Kevin Durant, I got caught up in the moment and I tweeted him saying, my, my husband, ha ha, my husband stole the ball off you. And I'm like, you're she kidding him. me. Like, oh, she, she trolled him. She's trolled Kevin Durant. Like, I, I thought I was the worst person ever trying to trash talk. And I'm like, nah, I get it from my wife. I don't think KD lost any sleep over it. Um, but yeah, my, my wife had a go at him. Uh, I'll never forget that. Oh, remarkable. What's the plan next? What are we going to see from Damien Martin in the future? We're not losing you to the game, are we? No, I love the game too much. So I, I will stay involved uh, with the NBL, with the Wildcats. There's, you know, there's other employment I have, um, but the reality is Bass was just a part of who I am. So whether it's coaching um, you know, Maggie's team and Bonnie's team when they're, they're old enough to play or, or sitting in the stands as a Red Army member, you know, it's always going to be part of who I am. And I love it and can never repay it fully. As we've been talking, Marto, for the last 10 minutes, there's been texts rolling through from, uh, and we're in Melbourne based and there's United fans and there's Phoenix fans and there's Perth fans listening to us wherever around the country. All the texts rolling through are full of love and support for you. So congratulations on what's been an outstanding career. And before we let you go, I can't finish off without asking you about the award that's now named in your honour. Defensive Player of the Year. It makes the most sense. I applaud Jeremy and, and the NBL for making such a decision. When, how did you find out? So actually, I, I was overwhelmed with how many phone calls and text messages I was receiving. And, and then... For whatever reason, someone called and I was like, oh, I'll actually answer this one because my, my daughter has handed the phone back. I, I let her watch the Wiggles on the drive home. Um, but then she handed it to me as someone was calling. So I was, I was picked up and I kind of missed who it was. And then they're talking about, is there anything we can ever help with uh, in real estate, you know, with prospecting, let us know. So in my head, I'm thinking, is this a former buyer or seller I've dealt with? And then he goes, oh, and also just wanted to let you know, we're going to uh, name the NBL Defensive Player of the Year award after you. I'm like, hang on, I'm so sorry. Because I recognise the voice, but I'm like, I'm so sorry, who is this? And then Jeremy told <laughs> it's me only, who it was. I'm it's like, only oh, the commissioner. It's the NBL commissioner. <laughs> I'm like, oh, Jeremy, I'm so sorry. I did not real. I didn't see your name pop up. Yada, yada, yada. Uh, and then when you kind of went through it again, I was just blown away. And I've been floored by it all afternoon. Um, yeah, it, it is. It's, it's incredible. I don't know how to explain it, but to be able to stand up on stage at the awards night uh, and present that to, you know, the, whoever wins it next year, it's going to mean a lot to me. And to stand up on stage next to Andrew Gaze, who yeah. has the MVP award named after him, Andrew doesn't know this, but he actually was a big motivation. I heard him once, and it was probably a throwaway comment saying, you know, good offense always beats good defense. And in my head, I'm like, nah, great defense will always be great offense. And I just wanted to go out and prove him wrong. And I know I meant nothing to him when he said it, but I used that as fuel for so many years against great offensive players. So it'd be cool to stand on stage with him and just incredibly honored to have that name after me. And it's an honor that you thoroughly deserve. Marto, thanks for being with us tonight and good luck for what's coming up next. It's been an absolute pleasure to watch you and commentate you. You've been a, a delight to see out in Australian basketball. So good luck with the future. Thanks, mate. Thanks for everything. Damien Martin from the Perth Wildcats joining us. A resume as good as any in the history of Australian basketball. And as you can just hear there, just an all-time good bloke as well. It's time on. What? Time on with Jack Heverin. It's that time once again here on SEN to check in with the Australian Jackaroos and one of the stars of the Australian Jackaroos in Barry Lester. We do it each week for Apia. We're all about possibilities. You can talk to our dedicated specialist today on 135050. Barry, welcome back to SEN. Thanks very much, Jack. Thanks for having me. It's good to be back on the air with you, mate. Hey, um, let's talk about the Jackaroos team, which you're an integral part of. This year was going to be a massive year. There was a world championships that was scheduled to be happening in June. That's not happening. There were other big events that 
aren't happening as well. How are you going as a team staying together? You're pretty tight-knit. Are you still managing to do that? Yeah, there's pretty much a buddy system happening, Jack. You know, we have uh, our Zoom meetings once every sort of fortnight. You know, the technology is really coming into play, being able to see each other's faces. We've got different concepts sort of week to week. We'll have, um, you know, just some different themes, some dress-ups, um, you know, bring your funniest joke, uh, just, just different little things, and then just go around the around the Zoom and ask people what they've been up to. And, you know, we've had people have babies. We've had people change jobs, uh, do some study and just getting keeping in touch and getting to know what everyone's been up to and just supporting and motivating one another um, and, and making sure we're all uh, physically and me- mentally strong and um, just being uh, you know shoulder to lean on even though it's via technology but we all know we're there for each other and we are a we are a tight knit group and we're just um, yeah staying in really close contact knowing that if we can get back out on the green you know there's um, the transitions as smooth as possible. You've been in the sport a long time. If I'd have said to you five years ago that you would bond with your team via Zoom meetings and over a computer, would you have believed me? Oh, no, no. You know, um, I guess FaceTime's a handy one over the years when you're away travelling uh, maybe overseas and that to connect with loved ones and family and friends. But, yeah, the way we do connect now via Zoom and technology, it's really, really good. And, and we've got different platforms for messaging and yeah, it's great. You know, I'm lucky in Queensland. I've got a few of the jackaroos not far from me and we've been able to catch up, you know, for a game of golf or um, just have a bit of a chat over the phone. But, um, yeah, in these tough times, technology has helped a lot and we do have a really good time. We, we have a bit of a laugh and a bit of a cry and um, we, we just share each other's stories in which we do when we're on the road or when we're in camps. And um, this, this time around, it's by technology. But I think one thing we're all really trying to sustain is that we support one another through the tough times and that, yeah, like I said, once we do get back out in the greens, the Jackaroos are a, um, you know, a formidable team. So at this stage, what's the next big event on the calendar for bowls? Is it, the, judging from the way I'm sort of working through, will we have anything before the bowls Premier League, do you think, in November? I I don't think so. Not probably from a uh, from a, an Australian sort of slash international point of view. Um you know, there might be somewhere where we can get together from a camp perspective. Um, you know, I think that um, that might be on the cards in somewhere in the next sort of six to 12 months that we try and get together. Um, I know up here on the Gold Coast, some of the clubs have started to pack the calendar with different tournaments um, and state events and that are going ahead uh, and a bit of pennant here and there. But um, no, Jack, we'll, the Bowls Premier League is definitely high on the agenda for a lot of players that are involved in it, especially from the Jackaroos point of view. And um, I think the players really now, are, and I know I am especially, really craving competition. You know, I've, mm. I've been in, involved in competitive sport for well over 20 years and been playing, you know, like you say, at, at the highest level for a lot of years. And going out to train at the moment is very enjoyable. I'm enjoying getting back to training, but I'm now really craving to... Um, put some bowls down with a lot of meaning a lot of purpose yep we might talk more about that next week how are you going about returning to action we do it every week with thanks to apia we're all about possibilities talk to our dedicated specialist today on 13 50 50 baz always great to catch up we'll chat next week yeah take care thanks jack on sen your home of sport time on with jack everon ollie pope That is a quite magnificent way to end the test match. Pope at short leg, flinging himself to his left.
And England have completed a fine victory here at Emirates Old Trafford after losing a day to rain. They have won with an hour to spare. This certainly was some certainly was some sort of massive turnaround for England. Superb performance and the way that you bounce back after the first test. There's a bit to take away from this series. And I'll be honest, as a cricket lover, I'm deprived of pretty much anything else going on around the world. So this England versus the West Indies series has taken up a lot of my attention, as it has for Henry Moran from the BBC and Test Match Special, who joins us from the bubble right now. Henry, welcome back to SEN. Jack, lovely to speak to you. Yeah, I'm in the very hotel that the England team and the West Indies team are staying in somewhere in this building. Joffre Archer has spent the last five days in uh, self-isolation, uh, having missed this last test match after breaking the bio bubble rules. So he's had a long week, I think it's fair to say, inside this hotel. But yeah, welcome to the bio bubble. I've just taken my mask off after a little walk around the ground. But regardless of all of the, the challenges that we face, how good is it to have Test cricket back? I uh, couldn't agree with you more. Now, just on Joffre, very quickly, my understanding, I think some news has just filtered through that he's tested negative. He's okay to join the squad again? Yeah, that's, uh, that's the news that we've got this morning here in the UK. So the, the protocol was just to go through exactly what happened. So Joffre Archer, he made uh, an unauthorised journey back to his home in Brighton between the two matches played in Southampton and then here in Manchester, that meant that the ECB had to say on the night before the game, that's when they found out, they actually said on the morning of the game, look, Joffre Archer can't be a part of this match, self-isolation for five days, and one of the rules before he could rejoin the squad was two COVID tests, both had to come back negative. They have now done so, and so he's free to rejoin the squad ahead of this third match. We've, uh, we've seen him in the last couple of days. He's had a couple of times out of his hotel room and, uh, and walks around the ground early in the morning, that sort of thing, with, uh, with a socially distanced minder with him just to, uh, to make sure he's getting some exercise. Uh, but the good news for, for everyone involved, I think, is that Joffre Archer is, uh, is going to be able to play in this third test match if he's selected. If selected. And depending on the way the selectors look at things, he may not be. One player who will never have to worry about being selected is Ben Stokes. He, he's an outstanding cricketer. We, as Australian cricket fans, have got an unfortunate memory of what he did to us in one of the test matches in the Ashes series. But uh, he seems to have actually elevated his game to another level, Henry. He's a remarkable athlete. He's, he's one of those people that just seems to put everything into, into whatever he does, be it fielding, bowling, batting. He's the most committed sportsman. And a good example of that we saw yesterday is he's in the middle of an 11-over spell and having batted in the morning session as well, throwing everything to try and get as many runs as he could for England. He was uh, bowling a series of bouncer after bouncer, no fielders in front of a square. And so when the ball went back down the ground when he pitched one up, he then leapt up from having tumbled in his follow-through, sprinted back to the boundary at the far end of the ground to get the ball, hauled it in a foot or so inside the rope. They'd already won four runs. So, you know, it, <laughs> that's the attitude he has. Ben Stokes is a remarkable, a remarkable, a remarkable guy. And I think a good example of, of the sort of attitude he's had. And from, from my experiences, we were... We were on an England tour in Sri Lanka a couple of years ago, and Ben Stokes has been playing in the heat and humidity of Sri Lanka in a one-day international. Back at the hotel where we were staying with the team, I went to the gym for my 15 minutes plodding very slowly on the treadmill. <laughs> ben Stokes was next to me on the next treadmill, sprinting, 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 having been out in the heat all day, and only when the England fitness coach came along and said, Ben, enough, come off now. Yeah. And he stopped doing his exercise. He is relentless. He's an extraordinary cricketer, and I think... 
whatever whatever way you look at it in the world game, it's a bit like watching Steve Smith. Sometimes you just appreciate there is greatness out in the middle and you've just got to enjoy it. Where does he sit, Henry? You watch a lot of cricket. You're very fortunate to be in that position to, to watch and beat a lot of games. Where does – is he in the top five, top three cricketers in the world? Where do you have him right now? Well, he's just uh, he's just overtaken Jason Holder as the world's number one all-rounder. So uh, in terms of ICC rankings, he's he's certainly the best in the world it, it, as the all-rounders go. I think it, it's fair to say his batting in the last 12 months, he has shown that he, he's England's best batsman and, and probably passed Joe Root in terms of that role. And it's his adaptability. We saw that innings at Headingley, and I hate to remind you in Australia <laughs> about that again. Uh, yeah. And what, what he did in that innings. But everyone remembers the drama of that last hour or so and smashing sixes all over the shop. But there was the, the night before where he blocked and blocked and blocked. And I think it's the ability to change gears which makes him such a phenomenal talent because it's one thing being able to bludgeon the ball out of the ground and do that in the manner that, say, Joss Butler can do. It's another thing to be able to block and be the most mm. decent back in the lineup, stopping teams get through. And I think that's what perhaps sets him aside from, from other cricketers in the world. Is he the world's best? It's so hard to know. But I think certainly there's not a team on the planet that, given the option of having Ben Stokes in their lineup, would turn it down. What's it like for you as a broadcaster at the moment, Henry? What's the environment like, the atmosphere? We're experiencing a little bit of it here with Australian Rules footy, where we're starting to get some crowds yeah. back and things are different. How are you finding it? It's, it's, it's unusual, certainly. I, I, was, I noticed um, this morning as I went down for breakfast and you have to you put on the, the protective rubber gloves, you put on the face mask before you go into the breakfast room, you sit on tables isolated from everyone else. And I was lucky enough last year the, in the latter half of 2019 to visit Chernobyl in Ukraine, the site of a nuclear disaster in the 1980s. And I was looking at my photos of that, and I'm wearing less protective equipment there than I am having <laughs> breakfast in Manchester. It's strange time. And make no mistake about it. This is unusual territory for all of us. But I think huge credit has to go not just to the England and Wales Cricket Board and, and every sports governing body around the world that, that has managed to get sport back on, but also to the teams that are happy to come here to the United Kingdom to play these games, West Indies and Pakistan, and potentially Australia later in the year as well. To, to make that commitment to come over here and all of the challenges that come with having to be in quarantine and isolation and, and sitting in hotel rooms endlessly, that takes a lot of commitment to the, to the sport that you're playing. And it's, yeah, it's a strange environment. It's strange not having crowds. It's weird when boundaries are struck, not hearing the roar of the crowd enjoying it. But quite frankly, we're lucky to have sport. Yep. And I can't tell you how privileged I feel to be one of a very small group of people that's been able to watch it live in the flesh over the last couple of weeks. And Henry, I've got to say, even from an Australian point of view, we've got it here on every night. It starts at about 7.30, 8 o'clock Eastern Standard Time, so it's beautiful timing. It rated really, really well this series on TV as well. So there you go. Cricket fans just want to see it. I think that's the thing, isn't it? And, and there's been such a, a lack of, of international sport. And this was the first series where two teams internationally played against each other in any sport. And so all around the world, it feels like this has been the centre of the sporting universe in the last couple of weeks. And it's been two really good games of cricket as well. I was yeah. uh, delighted to see the series levelled yesterday because we've got a great finale coming up this weekend. And also, how good is it to see a West Indies team really competing and playing well here in the UK? So... I think there's a lot to be enjoyed. I'm not surprised people are enjoying it across in Australia. And, and the hope is that this is just the start of getting back to normal and that in the not-too-distant future we'll be able to see plenty more international cricket. Yeah, couldn't have said it better myself. Henry, always great to catch up. Thanks for joining me, and we'll do it again soon. 
Look forward to it, Jack. Speak soon. Henry Moran, he's a very good man. He's a very, very good cricket commentator as well. Part of the BBC Test Match Special broadcast, which if you haven't travelled to uh, England or the surrounding areas before, they do a brilliant job, a simply brilliant job of broadcasting cricket, the Test Match Special. They cover the Test Matches. They cover the English county scene. They do the men's and the women's T20s. That's uh, superb. They've got a great team and they do a great job and Henry's part of that as well. Some stuff that you may have missed from across the day. It's been a busy two hours. We've crammed a fair bit in. Uh, the T20 World Cup has officially been postponed by a year. That now opens the door for the Indian Premier League to be played in October. And Swimming Australia will mark the 12-month countdown to the rescheduled Tokyo Olympic Games with a series of time trials beginning on Friday. We'll keep a very close eye on that. But it's all about the fixture which dropped this hour. It's now on the website, sen.com.au. Lawrence and the boys have done a really good job of breaking it down in some sort of format that makes some sort of sense. 33 games, 20 days. There's going to be a lot of footy, but bring it on because it's better than the alternative. Talking City is coming up next. Stay with us. It's SEN. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semi finals, all thanks to McDonald's. Mackers, together and loving it. TNCs apply.